Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Good, everybody. Welcome to the wildcard edition of the Look Ahead, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats Guerrera of Niners Nation. Happy to be joined, as always, by RJ Ochoa of Blogging the Boys. What's going on, RJ? Stats, happy super wild card round week. Hope all is well wherever you are. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to everybody. It's a fantastic week to love the NFL, to love football in general. Congratulations to Devonta Smith winning the Heisman Trophy. I'm, I'm feeling good right now. I hate to derail us, but I just have to say, you've you've missed the boat with the Happy New Year. It's way <laughs> too late. It's the first look ahead of 2021, though. That's the point. No, no. I have a thing. There is one day a year when you can say Happy New Year to people. You know what mm-hmm. that day is? Just Jan- guess. January 1st. Yes, that's correct. After that, you missed the boat. Nobody says Merry Christmas on June t- uh, December 27th. Um, Seaboat, th- like... If you're equating it to Christmas, that's not a fair thing because people say Merry Christmas like December 3rd, too. You know what I'm saying? It's it's also like an anticipatory sort of, you know, phrase. It's not only post-Christmas the way New Year's is post-New Year's. I think you have till like January 3rd. And I realize I've broken my own rule now. Uh, <laughs> but if if it's January 3rd, you're seeing somebody for the first time, you're sending a, a corporate-related email, you can say Happy New Year. Hate it. Drives me nuts. Don't do it anymore. Um <laughs> So we are recording this on Wednesday, January 6th. There is always news breaking all the time. We know this, but something you saw, especially coaching news, and something you saw just before we hit record here caught your eye concerning the Texans and their head coaching search. That's right. Um, Well, last night at the time of our recording, Nick Casario and the Texans finally got together in the proverbial tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. It was a rumor forever, Uh, but... It seems like the Texans have a plan that is very separate from every other team in the NFL that is looking for a head coach. According to ESPN's Adam Schefter, a fairly trustworthy person in the NFL, the Texans did not request an interview with Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, and they are the only team with a head coach opening. There are six teams with uh, vacancies a head coach that has not requested nor interviewed him. Um, so, yeah. Did you see, by the way, stats Deshaun Watson's uh, tweet that Schefter retweeted on Tuesday night? Some things never change. Yeah, it, it seems that Deshaun might have been speaking about um, something with a political uh, purpose um, that I think is, is some people's take or some people's theory. Obviously, he could have been talking about the Nick Casario hiring because that's when it was announced. But I have to imagine, you know, how many people stats have said Deshaun Watson, Eric Bieniemy, it would be awesome. Um, and for the Texans, like to not even interview him. You you said this on the oddcast. That every NFL team, you mef- you referenced the late, great Al Davis, how he would interview everybody. I, I don't know how that's that's either extreme stupidity or extreme hubris to say this dude's not even worth talking to. Remember in the office when Dwight Schrute said, when I'm about to make a decision, I think, is this something an idiot would do? Yeah. And if it is, I do not do that thing. Well, the New York Jets are idiots and they're smart enough to interview Eric Bieniemy for their head coaching job. The Houston Texans apparently are not going to do that. And they are apparently now dumber than the Jets. I just, I find this whole thing amazing when it comes to the Texans, because um, I agree with you in BLG on the oddcast, again, a quality production here on the SB Nation NFL show, um, that the Texans are near the bottom when you power rank the head coaching vacancies. And I find that to be amazing, given that they have a quarterback who is among the, whatever you want to call it, top four, top five in the NFL. I mean, that that is a galactic level of failure that you would be that way. Also, I referenced this on Monday Football Monday. Um, I saw this tweet from Robert Mays on Sunday. Do you realize, Stats, the Texans have earned a top five pick in two of Deshaun Watson's four seasons in the NFL and that they have not gotten to use either of those selections? Now, granted, one of them was part of the trade that helped them draft Deshaun. But, like, again, just an overall insane level of failure from that organization 
when you have a quarterback as good as Deshaun Watson, you can accidentally make the playoffs. In order to be this bad, it has to be purposeful. It seems like they're trying to sabotage themselves. I'm sure you've seen this stats. Not everybody I make this reference to has, but you are um, you are a man of taste and a man of wisdom. You've seen the Factory of Sadness YouTube video. You are a factory of sadness. Right. There's a line he says, and if you haven't seen it, you're listening, go watch. It's really funny. It's a Browns fan, really upset. Um, and he's yelling at the stadium how it's a factor of sadness. But he has a line that I think is applicable to a lot of areas of life. Do you understand that it's actually statistically harder for a team to be this consistently bad than it is for them to occasionally accidentally be good? That's the Texans. And I feel maybe they, they used up all their like accidental occasional luck winning the division with Brian Hoyer and whoever, Brock Osweiler and stuff. But... That, you know, we talk so much about how, like, you know, you mentioned one of your criteria for choosing a team if you're going to be head coach is the division. The AFC South was a doormat forever, even with Andrew Luck in it. And it just sucks that now, if you're a Texans fan, the Jaguars are getting things together. The Titans are certainly a contender. The Colts are now. I mean, it's it's a big bummer if you're a Texans fan. Part of the, this part of the year is hope. I'm a Niner fan. The Niners aren't in the playoffs. My hope is restored now. My cup is full again because the season's over. I'm looking ahead to the offseason, to the draft picks, to who might be coming, who might be going. If you're a Texans fan, you got no hope, no first-round pick, no second-round pick, no coach right now. You're not interviewing the best possible candidate available. Like, What do I have to be hopeful for that next year is going to be any better than this year? I always say... There's nothing that could shock us more in the NFL, right? Like there's always like that crazy story that you're like, what? And it is the biggest thing. And you think, okay, that's it. Nothing could ever be bigger than this. And I'm not saying I want this to happen because I think Deshaun Watson is awesome where he is. But Deshaun Watson demanding a trade would be that next level for me. You know what I mean? And I think that I don't want to say it's possible. But because you're right, like there is no hope. There's no hope for a Texans fan. Why? I thought that there was a great clip that NFL Films put out this week of J.J. Watt apologizing to Deshaun Watson, um, saying that they wasted one of his years. And that's totally true. If you're Deshaun Watson, I mean, people are already saying, like, get J.J. Watt out of there, put him on a contender. Why should that not be true for Deshaun Watson as well? Well, because Deshaun Watson just chose to sign a massive new deal. I think there would be like a $70 million cap hit if he were to be off the team next year. Some, it's something But obscene. who would do that if not the Texans? That's right. <laughs> I mean, you know what they should do? There's a lot of good running backs available. Maybe they can make a trade for a running back. Zeke Elliott. Get the Cowboys yeah. two-quarterback oh. system right there. Boom. There trade you up. go. Resign. Here you go, Stats. Have the Niners resign or keep Kyle Juszczyk around. Trade him for Deshaun Watson. They're, your quarterback issues resolved in the Bay Area. I'd sign for that if they threw in like a fourth-round pick. Fair. Totally fair. Yeah, it's not good right now. Dark days in Houston. All right, let's move on because we are very excited. We've got a ton to get to in this episode. We're going to preview every playoff game, of course, but we have a very special guest this week, Mark Schlereth from Fox and from 104.3, the fan in Denver, and from basically anything to do with football is going to join us. We're going to get into some of the things going on with the Cleveland Browns. We're going to get into... Derek Henry and his 2,000-yard season, a whole bunch of stuff with Stinks. So we're going to let you hear that. And then after we do that, we'll take a break, and we're going to break down every single game of Wild Card Weekend. All right, RJ, I am very pleased and excited to bring on a guest that I had the pleasure of working with at ESPN when we were both there. You know him from NFL Sundays on Fox. He's got a show in Denver on 104.3 The Fan weekdays from 6 to 9 a.m. You know him from Stinking Green Chili. You know him from his three Super Bowl championships. Basically, anything Mark Schlereth touches turns to gold. So we are very excited to have him join the look at here, part of the SB Nation NFL show. What's up, Stinky? How are you, Stats? Man, always good to be with you. Good to see you, my friend. It's, uh, it's great to reconnect. Yes, it is. There is so much to get to now. I almost don't know where to start, but I guess we got to start in Cleveland because the Browns are going to have a playoff game for the first time in 18 years but they're not going to have a head coach because Kevin Stefanski has COVID-19. And so Alex Van Pelt is going to call plays and there's going to be no head coach for the Browns. Theoretically, based on my experience this year, I should be calling that game. You know, I am the guy that called the game in Denver when the Broncos had no quarterbacks. Uh, I also am the guy 
they called the Detroit game uh, versus Tampa Bay when they had no coaches. Uh, I also am the guy that just called the Saints game last weekend that had no running backs because of COVID-19. So I am the COVID crew. I should be calling this game. No head coach for uh, the Cleveland Browns, Kevin Stefanski out. So I should be calling the game. Um, I will say this, you know, when you think about how, that style of offense works and you think about what Kevin Stefanski does the game planning aspect of that for Alex Van Pelt they'll do that together via zoom whatever they'll put the first 15 plays in so the first quarter isn't really the biggest issue it's after that it's being into a rhythm it's the great play callers not only are dissecting the information that is given to them based on the formation that they're in based on the personnel grouping that they're in um, and seeing how the defense reacts to that they're taking in that information and then they're they're um, assimilating that information saying okay in the second quarter I want to get to this and I want to get to the adjunct play off this I want to get to the explosive play action that's created off this certain play and so there are always three four steps ahead two series ahead they're always thinking what's next how am I going to exploit this defense based upon what they've shown they'll play us in today so I, I think that's the rhythm of play calling and the understanding of play calling I think that's what will hurt the Browns most of all with a first time play caller or a guy that hasn't been used to calling plays this year Mark it's it's kind of interesting um, how the NFL and I understand that we're in unprecedented times as a as a world as, as a human civilization um, but how they're not even a you know I don't know it's it's so easy to say like we'll set up a, a quarantined you know suite or something like that um, I think some people view the NFL as being a bit rigid in in their protocols and their rules but again you can't be too safe um, or you know maybe it's not set up a quarantine suite maybe uh, maybe set up like a like a FaceTime situation a Zoom situation where he's able to be on the sideline or have that type of communication these are obviously extraordinary circumstances where do you fall there I mean do you think yeah. there's room for that flexibility well I thought I thought you know based upon the game I called Detroit why couldn't there's nobody in the stadium why couldn't you have it, it was Daryl Bevel who was the interim head coach but he was the offensive coordinator play caller why can't you put him in a suite by himself what's the problem with that? You know, I mean, they've got the technology, the coaches talk to each other, you know, from the, from the coach's booth down to the sideline. So why not that? I mean, why not, as you mentioned, extraordinary times, why not make some extraordinary measures and, um, and all that, you know, bottom line is the circus is going to go on. Um, and I will say this, and it's been incredible for me just to be a part of it this year, to travel, to call games, to be in empty stadiums, um, and it was absolutely perfect in its imperfection. Um, and, you know, I mean, my, whether it's, it's my father or whether it's friends or whether it's my father's friends that called uh, during the course of the season and just were so thankful that the NFL was going on. And I know it wasn't perfect. And I know there are a lot of flaws. And I know, you know, there are a lot of people that are upset about kind of how things go down. But everybody's, you know, playing – in kind of the, the same under the same rules. And, and, you know, the NFL essentially said, Hey, we're playing these games come hell or high water. Um, you guys figure it out. Here are the protocols and you guys as teams, you know, your maturity level and the way you handle this. I mean, the Cleveland Browns, what did, I, I think I just saw something where two guys got caught drag racing. I mean, <laughs> you know, Hey, first time you've been in the playoffs since 2002, what's your reward? Your head coach gets COVID and two guys are drag racing. So you know, I mean, that that part is how how dedicated are you to your team? How unselfish are you? Um, how much are you willing to sacrifice? And I think most every team took that very seriously. There's always five knuckleheads on every team that are idiots that have to be babysat. And um, and that, you know, that's all 32 teams. So how good a job do you did you do and how good is your leadership in directing those guys in the way they need to go? Speaking of good jobs. I want to go over to Tennessee because the Tennessee Titans offensive line just blocked for Derrick Henry, who had one of the most amazing rushing seasons we've ever seen over 2000 yards. You know what it's like to block for a 2000 yard rusher. Cause you did it for Terrell Davis. Why don't we never give the offensive lines any love for seasons like that? We always talk about Derrick Henry rushing for 2000 yards. Yeah. Well, um, that just because it's part of your job, you know, uh, it's, it's your job to be anonymous and most of the offensive line, like 
your experience is this. You know, I always say the difference between playing offensive line and defensive line. I could whip your ass 65 plays in a row. If I give up a sack at the end of the game, you're a hero and I'm a goat. That's just how it works. So normally if your name is mentioned, it's usually <laughs> with a holding call or something. You gave up a sack. It's a, it's a bad situation. Um, the Tennessee Titans, I think their two guards, Davis, 64, the right guard, and Saffold, I think it's 76, the left guard, they are the two best come off the ball, shorten your neck, dispense justice, bust you in the jaw players that you will watch on film. As a matter of fact, I'm prepping to do the last game of the season. It was Carolina and the Saints in Carolina. And I always make these videos for my crew so they can see what I'm looking at. So one of the videos I did was, hey, Drew Brees taking shots in what I would call a dig or a seam hole. So I'm doing the game. I end up making like four videos just on Roger Saffold and this Davis kid. And yeah, I get to the end of, cause I'm watching the film and it's like, Oh my God, these guys are awesome. You know, this is, this is like, it's incredible. And I'm just digging it. And then I realize I make four videos. I'm like, I'm not doing the Tennessee Titans this week. I'm doing <laughs> the Carolina Panthers. Like I've got videos made for my crew on a team that I'm not even doing just because I'm so enthralled with what they're doing. So you're hundred percent right. They were, uh, they were unbelievable. And some of that is not only them, but it's the commitment from that coaching staff. It's the commitment to doing that. And I always say this, that I hate it when people use, you know, the wide receivers as, as the skill position players, the quarterbacks as a skill position players, because there's no greater skill than moving a man from point A to point B against his will. And, that takes an incredible – it's just not – I mean, you think about it. It's not just, hey, mono a mono, I'm 300 pounds, you're 300 pounds. That's technique to be able to come off the ball like that and to drive guys. Um, and that's something that has to be constantly worked on. And so I give them a, a lot of props because that's that comes from a coaching staff that believes in, in that principle and wanting to do that. And so um, I think one of the big drop-offs for the Rams, you know, we always talk about Sean McVay and, you know – Anybody who even rubbed up against Sean McVay at some point was getting a head coaching job. And then all of a sudden people were like, well, did the NFL catch up to Sean McVay? And I'm like, no, they lost Roger Saffold and they lost their center at the same time. And all of a sudden two fifths of their offensive line that was dominant was gone. And, you know, it makes a difference. It really does. And so I'm with you on that, on that. Um, Derek Henry was amazing, but that, that group up front is really good. Well, Mark, um, I think continuity is obviously important in, in success sustaining for different NFL teams. When you guys went for over 2,000 yards, you won your second Super Bowl in a row. That's not an easy thing to do. Uh, we can sit here and talk about the Browns and the Titans and whatever, but obviously uh, I think a lot of people, the betting favorite is the Kansas City Chiefs to repeat. Um, they're off this week because they're that great. Um, how difficult is that? If, if they do it, Patrick Mahomes would only become, I think, the eighth quarterback ever to win two Super Bowls in a row. Um, obviously John Elway did it. Who's been in the news this week for different reasons. Um, but, but that's, that's gotta be hovering over them. I know Andy Reid's a great coach and, and they're an experienced group, but how difficult is that overall? Well, it's incredibly difficult. There's, as you mentioned, there's only a few teams to do it. You know, I was, I had the good fortune of being on one of those teams. Um, I will say this, and I've also lost as a, as a first overall seed in the divisional round. And, I always worry kind of the rust versus uh, rest kind of equation. Um, here's the thing I, I'll say about Kansas City. Can they run the ball? Of course they can run the ball. Do they have any desire whatsoever to really run the ball? No, probably not. And if you're out of rhythm as an offense throwing the football, I've always found it be it, it, it's very difficult to throw yourself back into rhythm when things aren't right. And so the best way to get yourself back into rhythm is to line up in heavy personnel and two backs, two tight ends, and just play a little smash mouth. And eventually everybody has to come up, defend the run, and then you've got one-on-ones on the outside and you're going to make something happen. Can Kansas, theoretically, can they do that? Absolutely. Now, you know, you, you look at their quarterback, he's a unicorn. So, I mean, it, it may not matter, but... I always find it interesting, kind of the whole rhythm aspect. Now, they get the bye week, but remember, they pretty much took week 17 off, too. Right. So it's two weeks. And that happened to me in 1996. You know, we firmly here in Denver believe we'd have three-peated. 
Um, we were 13 and three in 1996 and we had a bunch of injuries. So a bunch of guys, myself included, I didn't take the time off, not a lot, but, um, I had knee surgery. Gary Zimmerman had shoulder surgery. John Elway was out the last couple of weeks. Uh, Terrell Davis was out the last couple of weeks. We had a bunch of injury issues and they were legit. So it wasn't just legit. Hey, let's rest our guys. It was legit. Hey, we have to rest our guys because our guys are having surgery. Um, and so I, you know, there was a real rhythm issue, um, in that game against Jacksonville and we lost that game. And, and, you know, it was, a, it was, you know, the catalytic event, I think that drove us to back-to-back world championships, but I always worry about taking that much time off and how you as an offense respond. Now, here's the thing, you know, they'll, they'll get five guys out in the pattern and those guys you can't hold up against Tyreek Hill and you can't hold up against Kelsey. And even if you don't hold up blocking Patrick Mahomes, make three people miss and then throw one forty-two yards down the field for a touchdown and, and all is, you know, all is well. So they are a unique offense. I, I certainly feel like they have the best chance of any team I've seen recently repeat, but um, it's, it's still a tall task. One more for you here before we go, you're in Denver John Elway, as RJ said, is in the news now. He's not going to be the general manager there anymore. Why do you think that he couldn't really get on track after Peyton Manning? And number two, are you going to steal Adam Peters from my 49ers? Um, yeah, I don't know that, you know, I don't know that Adam Peters, I mean, I know they want to talk to Adam Peters. So um, yeah, we'll see what, we'll see what happens there. Obviously uh, it would be a great opportunity. Um, you know, I, just the draft and, you put it all together. One, he just never could find a quarterback that worked. And he went after Paxton Lynch, you know, and um, and Case Keenum and, and Joe Flacco. And and none of the guys ended up working out. And, you know, beyond that, if you look at some of the free agent signings, especially in the last four or five years, they really didn't pan out. And his drafts really in the first three rounds have just not worked out. I mean, Vaughn Miller was an exceptional draft pick for John Elway. Up until Garrett Bowles, who was a bust, a colossal bust, until this year when all of a sudden, like, it was like a miracle um, because he played exceptionally well. The only guy that ever received a second contract that was a first-round draft pick was Vaughn Miller. Every other first-round draft pick under John Elway got let go and come to second contract. So, I mean – it has been a really bad track record when it comes to building your team through the draft, which you ask any general manager or any personnel guy, that's what you have to be able to do. And they just weren't able to do that um, for whatever reason, you know, philosophy, um, whatever, it just didn't work out. And so now you see John moving over and a general manager is going to come in and, and hopefully they have more success because um, their roster is depleted and it has not been very good in the last five years. Mark, we could literally talk to you all day, but we really appreciate your time again. 104.3, the fan in Denver, stinking good chili as well, which I have personally tasted and is delicious because we used to hook us up with breakfast back in the day at ESPN. Right. Still appreciate that. Thank you very much for the time, sir. Hope to talk to you again soon. You got it, my friend. Take care, buddy. Thanks again to Mark Schlereth for all his time. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, it's not a lightning round because we have six playoff games to break down it is wild card weekend baby we can't wait to dive into these games hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to The Look Ahead, part of the SB Nation NFL show. All right, RJ, let us dive into six playoff games to break down. We'll go chronologically. We'll start on Saturday. Indianapolis at Buffalo. Playoff hero Frank Reich is coming back to Buffalo to lead his Colts against the Bills. I also think that this game is worth watching for basically every team looking for a head coach, Uh, whether your team, Brian Dable, like BLG is, I am also a team, Brian Dable, or your team, Matt Eberflus, who I am also a member of his team. Um, I'm on a lot of teams, basically. Um, but they are going up against each other directly. And that doesn't really happen all too often when it comes to would be head coach coordinators that are still active in the NFL. Um, As 
great of a run as the Colts have been on, I just have a hard time seeing them stop this Miami Dolphins team, or excuse me, this Buffalo Bills team, because against the Miami Dolphins in a meaningless game, sure, they were playing for the two seed, whatever, with reserves effectively playing in the game to a large degree, the Bills dropped 50 points. I, I can't think of a team that was... It's so hard. Like people, people love to say, like you got to get hot at the right time. That's not an easy thing to do. And I feel like the Bills are have gotten the hottest at the rightest time of any team in recent memory. And so, as great as the Colts' defense is, as great as Matt Eberflus is, I think that the Bills are just going to kind of have their way with them. But it is great to see a home playoff game at Orchard Park. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And you talked about getting right at the right time. I actually went back. Did a little research. Look at you, Stats. He, and for everybody uh, who can't see Stats, which is everybody except me, he put on um, bifocals for this. Yes, I did. <laughs> I put on my scientist glasses. If you go back and look at the last 10 years, almost everybody that has won a Super Bowl has gone into the playoffs playing really, really good football. I don't want to say it's always a winning streak, but it's always at least three out of the last five games, except for one team. Well, let me guess. Let me guess. So one team that had not won three of their last five games uh, entering the playoffs. This is over the last how long? Ten years? The last ten years. Hmm. Well, I'm going to say the 2000 and maybe the 2015 Broncos. Um, they were kind of they had kind of cooled off. Although that was the Brock Osweiler run that they were on before they they brought Peyton back. Um, in fact, I'm going to amend that and I'm going to say the 2012 Baltimore Ravens. Did you just make two guesses? I did. Well, wise move. The Ravens lost four out of their last five games the year they won the Super Bowl. Who they beat in the Super Bowl? I don't recall. Uh, in 2013, <laughs> actually, the Seahawks were three and two in their last five games, but they did win two out of their last three. But the point there is you basically have to be hot going into the playoffs to win a Super Bowl. The Bills are incredibly hot right now. And my worry for the Colts is this. If they get down by two scores... Mm-hmm. Are they going to have enough juice to come back against Buffalo? I don't think that they are. I don't think they are. I don't think they have the capability to be frank. All the credit in the world to Jonathan Taylor, who's like the perfect Colts running back. Um, I think that this is an important game for Colts fans to watch for the future because I think you are watching a team that is going to need a quarterback. Um, I remember last year thinking, man, Justin Herbert would be an awesome Colt. That obviously didn't happen. Um, but I, do you agree? I, I think this is the last game of Philip Rivers' career. Do you agree? I 100% agree, and I think it's the last game before Carson Wentz becomes an Indianapolis Colt next year. The mm. line is Bills by six and a half. What do you like? Dude, come on. This is like, you know, you ever like when you were a kid and you were like going to go to a pizza place or something and somebody was like, Stats, you're going to eat at least three slices? <laughs> Please. Uh, the Bills are easily going to cover. And I think there hasn't been a lot of like Bills. Na- I mean, there's been love, but there hasn't been a lot of like national. They're a real threat. I think this this win, because it will be an impressive win, will elevate them to this team. Like you'll see more national heads, I think, say this team's taken out the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. I totally agree. The bandwagon will be a lot more full after the Bills put a beat down on the Indianapolis Colts. The next game up on Saturday is NFC West love. The Rams go to Seattle to take on Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. Is Jared Goff going to play in this game? Because his thumb cannot be right. I don't think so. Personally, I'm not a a doctor or... um... Is it an orthopedic surgeon that would handle? I'm obviously not a doctor, but, <laughs> but either way. Um, and that's unfortunate um, just because I don't think Jared Goff is that great of a quarterback, but you want to see the best teams in the playoffs. Um, and so that will be a bummer. I think if you're a Seahawks fan, you should be happy. I think this is a chance for Seattle to maybe get hot because I just, man, what a polar turn of a year for them. It is unfortunate that Russell Wilson might only get this win in the playoffs. But, man, I mean, I don't know how you can feel any sense of confidence, no matter what Sean McVay can do, if you're a Rams fan, because the Seahawks are – they might not be playing that well offensively, but that defense is awesome. And, you know, John Wolford is not. (laughs) I think this is the worst possible matchup the Seahawks could have gotten. It's a team that always plays them tough, that knows them very well. I know, yeah, Jared Goff is likely going to be out, so that's a factor. But if I'm a Seahawks fan, I am not comfortable in this game 
at all. It's a division game. Weird stuff happens against divisional opponents. They'll probably win. But to me, I am puckered this whole game if I root for Seattle. Wow, that's a really intense way to put that. Um, well, <laughs> I I don't think the Rams have a chance, but I do think that Seattle will make it much closer than it needs to be. And so I'm fascinated <laughs> to see how they ultimately kind of put themselves in that pickle. I think at one point Seattle will be trailing in this game. And I don't oh, mean I like I don't mean early on, like like a three nothing lead. Like it will be a moment of wait a minute. Is Seattle gonna blow this? I feel like the Seahawks have stopped throwing the deep ball. And I don't know if Pete Carroll just gets conservative. I don't know what the, the issue is there. But when the Seahawks were rolling people early in the early in the year, Russ was chucking it down the field, putting dropping balls in the bucket for DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And I feel like he's not doing that right now. Yeah, I know that they set some franchise records offensively, but it, it did feel like they kind of limped to them near the end of the season. A few weeks ago, no big deal stats, uh, played around a golf and on the front nine, had my best nine hole score ever. I shot a 39 on the front nine. So I'm thinking, Ooh. I know, I know. So I'm thinking like, all right, I'm, I'm on fire now. Like everything's going to be great for me here. Let's party. Let's do this. Then the back nine, complete collapse, 49 to shoot an overall 88, threw up the X for Des Bryant and everything. But yeah, like it was, you know, shooting an 88 with a 49 is really nice. But again, it, it should have been a lot better. And that that's the, the Seahawks season as a whole. Well, you're talking to somebody that once shot a 136 on 18 holes. So, <laughs> you know. Okay. Shout out to shout out to my parents for putting me in the junior PGA golf tournaments. I was obviously prepared for that scenario. It was so bad. One of the organizers of the tournament just gave me a golf club at the end of it to try and make me feel better. Nice. <laughs> nice. I did come in dead last, by the way. There was like 150 people in the tournament. I was dead last and it was not close. At least you remember it though, stats. That's what counts. <laughs> Okay, we have gotten dangerously off track, so I'm going to try and steer the car back onto the bridge. Seattle is favored by three and a half points in this game. I assume you're going Seahawks? I am. I think it, they win by four. I think it's like a a barely cover of a cover. I agree. I don't. The Rams are good. They're going to give them trouble, but Seattle will find a way to get it done in the end. All right, let's go to Tampa Bay and Washington now, RJ. And once again, Tom Brady's playoff luck continues because he gets to face a team that couldn't even go 500 in the regular season. Yeah, this is, um, I don't know, you know, there was a, a really big lesson, I think, learned by network people last week in the NFL. I know the NFC East and the markets and everything, but it kind of blew up in their face. Why would you one week later then put the NFC East game on primetime. Um, I know it's Saturday. Um, and so it's not Sunday, but still, and I know that the Tom Brady factor is real and relevant. I, I think that Tampa Bay is, I, I think this is going to be, we've seen their like polar opposites all year, their extremes. This is the positive extreme. I think we see. And I think for that reason, I think they're going to play well. I think they're going to dominate. And I think that maybe, maybe Washington's defensive prowess runs out and maybe Brady's like not even sacked a single time. And so then it becomes this conversation all next week. That's like, man, the Bucks handled that Washington defensive front, blah, blah. And then people are going to pick them next week and fall into that trap. And then boom, they're going to get punched in the face, but they win this week. One thing I did see that I really liked was I liked Chase Young kind of calling out Tom Brady and saying, hey, Tom, here I come. Look, I know it's probably going to blow up in his face, but you have to have that attitude if you're Chase Young. I liked that he had a little bit of juice there. You know what? Like, stop kissing the ring. Let's go. If you're going to do it, that's the attitude you have to have. I agree with that generally, and I don't want to take anything away from it. However, it is a no-lose situation for Chase Young, right? Like, to call him out, because if you pull it off, you pulled it off. And if you don't pull it off, well, hey, it was the go, you know, whatever. At least at least you weren't the guy kissing the ring. Uh, but Chase Young's incredible, and he's got a really bright future. And so if, if he's going to be this guy, cool. Call everybody out. I like seeing that. I feel the same way sort of about the Bucks in this one. They have nothing to gain and everything to lose. If they win, I don't know that people are going to be super impressed and jumping on the bandwagon. It is an eight-and-a-half-point spread, I don't know. Mike Evans is banged up. I think I might take Washington just to cover. You can do that if you want stats. <laughs> um, I I also think something should be said. I, I, I 
it's I hate saying like even saying this because it it feels like it takes away. I'm a huge Ron Rivera fan, and I think what he's done with the culture there is super impressive. And obviously, his personal journey and his personal tribulations have been vast this year. And all the credit in the world, all the blessings in the world, Ron Rivera. I do think he is a little fortunate, or he has had the fortune of playing in some down divisions over the last few years. Even as the Carolina Panthers head coach, we everybody talks about the 2010 Seahawks that that happened to win the division with a sub 500 record. Since then, two different teams have won their divisions with a record below 500, both of them coached by Ron Rivera. Um, so again, you can only play who who's in front of you. And, you know, I don't think Ron Rivera is mad about that, but I just think that that should be said. That's all. But he is awesome. And as, as great as, you know, the Washington defensive front might be, I am in no way taking them to cover. So good for you, Stats. I'm proud of you. I don't know. Well, I don't know why you're so skeptical. It's not Dwayne Haskins in there. Alex Smith is going to be back. He is not a bad quarterback. He's average. Alex Smith has been decent in the playoffs in his career as well. I think they're going to keep it close there. I am not on the Bucks train by any stretch. Well, the last time the Bucks were in a playoff game, they lost to the eventual Super Bowl champions in the 2007 New York Giants. That game, by the way, stats, I don't know if I've ever told you this, was quarterbacked by one of my all-time favorite non-Cowboys quarterbacks in Jeff Garcia. Really? That sounded like a compliment for a former 49er. I actually view him more as a former Eagle than anything. Again, kind of my Cowboys in his showing, but I I love Jeff Garcia. Everything about his game is so much fun to me. And so um, that 07 Bucks team was really cool. Uh, but I think that the Bucks win this game rather handily. All right, let's move to Sunday's game now. And this is, I think, the game of the day, frankly, on Sunday, because it's a rematch of what we saw last year. Ravens and Titans. This time it's in Tennessee. But Lamar Jackson said yesterday, like, I hear the narrative about me in the playoffs and that I can't win a playoff game, and I want to kill that narrative. And I love that he just flat out addressed it and didn't run from it. I do, too. And I think, you know, we all had a lot of fun last year when the Titans won, and there was a big kind of, you know, sort of exposing moment, I guess, uh, with regards to the Ravens. And that's a hard thing to deal with. I've always thought it was super impressive in a different way that the 2017 Atlanta Falcons made the playoffs after the 28 to three loss, you know, and and it is so hard to come back from disappointment like that. And so I think it's, I think this in a weird way is like a huge energizing boost for the Ravens that not only are you back in the playoffs and you've refound your offensive identity, but you like, you never get a chance for a do over, right? Like you never get that. And so not only do they have that, but they have it in its like sweetest form and that they get to go to Tennessee. They get to play the Titans, the, first game after Derrick Henry had this 2000 yard season. So, I mean, the Titans ruined the Ravens party when they set all these offensive records and now they literally get a chance to return the favor. I, I kind of want to take Tennessee. I, I really like what they're doing. Um, I think their future is so bright. I think Mike Vrabel still underrated, but I am not betting against Baltimore here. I think that this is a throwdown of a game. I think it is the best game on paper, but I think Baltimore is out to send a message. And then I think after we see like the pettiest celebrations ever from the Ravens, <laughs> Yes, I am. I'm here for petty celebrations. But you know this. Nobody knows this better than us being fans of the Niners and Cowboys. This game is just like Niners Cowboys in the early Mm. night. The whole season for Lamar Jackson has been about this game has been about what you do in the playoffs. The, The 16 games before this did not matter at all. It's all led up to this. I wonder If during this game, if Tennessee happens to be up by 10 points or 14 points and Lamar's sitting on the bench while Derrick Henry's killing the clock, do the ghosts start to go through Lamar's head? Here I am in the playoffs again. He's already admitted that he's Mm. thinking about it. Does that sort of doubt start to creep in? That's a very fair thought and maybe that's the goal if you're the titans right like bury them early and and they'll bury themselves i just i don't there's something about the ravens and i the fact that they've clicked i mean we talked about the bills earlier kind of finding themselves the ravens are kind of right behind them in that regard this is supported by no data and no substance whatsoever but the ravens road uniforms are one of my favorite 
they're one of the only teams where I prefer their road uniforms to their home ones. Um, and this again, I can't quantify this by any means. I think the Ravens are just like harder in their white tops, black pants. Um, like, I feel like their greatest wins have come in that variation. We mentioned Super Bowl 47, sorry, stats. But, like, the road win against Denver on the way there, the road win against the Patriots in the AFC title game that year. Like, there's just something about when they put that armor on, they cannot be effed with. And so I, I, I am not touching anything that is anti-Ravens this week. I Here's my thing. I think this game is going to be super close. The spread is Baltimore by three and a half. I don't see this game being decided by more than a field goal. So whoever was going to get that extra half a point, I was going to take. So that's where I fall in this game because I just think it's going to be a, this is going to be a brawl. It is going to be brutal. I think Vrabel's going to have something special cooked up for Lamar because I think he's a very, very good coach. He's great situationally. So I was basically going to take whoever's getting more than the field goal. So that's where I fall in this one. Go Ravens. <laughs> All right, next up on the docket, it is my least interesting game of playoff weekend, Bears and Saints. If you listen to the oddcast, which I know you did, you know where I'm going to come down on this one. If there was ever a game that the Saints are going to lose in the playoffs, it's this one against a clearly inferior opponent. Look, Stats, um, I know that you love you some Sean Payton. You love you some New Orleans Saints. But stats like there's a difference between an inferior opponent and the Chicago Bears. Like, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, that's that's a thing. So I saw this um, a little bit before we started recording on NFL Now on Wednesday. Stacey Dales, who covers the Bears and kind of the Midwest teams for NFL Network, um, she referenced a note card that Matt Nagy has (laughs) has. I guess incorporated. So the Chicago Bears lost in week 13 to the Detroit Lions. Okay, that was a game on a Sunday. They fell to five and seven. That was their sixth loss in a row, as everybody knows. Apparently, according to Stacey Diaz, and and this wasn't like something that I I'm, again, this is my understanding that she like uncovered. She's a fantastic reporter, but apparently Matt Nagy showed this to reporters this week. And I, I guess I missed this story. It was a note card that was like Chicago Bears colors and was laminated and had Sunday, January 3rd, 7 p.m. written on it, like in just plain block text. Why? Because that was the end of the regular season. That was when their Week 17 game against the Green Bay Packers, which they lost, by the way, uh, was set to finish. So I guess Nagy's point was like, this is the end mark. We have between now, at the time, Week 13, and then to write our season, we can still get to the playoffs, whatever. And like so much has been said about Matt Nagy's like his BU thing that he puts on his play sheet or whatever. And I'm sure he's a great person. I would love to play around at golf with Matt Nagy. I would love to play some PS4 or PS5 if he's lucky enough with Matt Nagy. But he's just so cheesy with this stuff. And I don't think that that type of coach does well against a super volatile, tear you limb from limb dude in Sean Payton. All right, that was pretty stupid. I'm not going <laughs> to Right, like, it's it would work. It would work if not only if you were in high school, but you would have to be in high school in like a network sitcom. You know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't even work in a normal high school. It would have to be a fictitious high school for that to work. I can't remember. In contrast, this with Sean Payton. I can't remember if it was before the Super Bowl or maybe before a Pro Bowl. But you know, these teams get more money if you win in the playoffs. Oh, so he actually rolled in. I think it was like a million dollars in cash into the locker room before the game. And was like, boom, here it is. Here's what's at stake. A million bucks just sitting on like a, like a pallet, like friggin' Breaking Bad or some crime show. That's how you do it. Exactly. Like Matt Nagy, again, by all measures, a great person, a great man, a great leader of men. Uh, but just, I mean, he's like a kind of squeaky clean in that sense, going up against like swag out the butt. Sean Payton and I like that in a street fight you know I'm going with Sean Payton a hundred out of a hundred times I know Drew Brees has had his struggles but the Saints the Saints completely embody that mantra from Sean Payton and they are going to rout the Chicago Bears I fully admit that my pick makes no sense whatsoever <laughs> that all the evidence and logic and sanity points to the Saints I totally get it But I just look at the Saints playoff history and I say that this team, for whatever reason, 
comes up short in big moments the majority of the time that they are in the playoffs. And this just seems to be a perfect example. I think the Saints players are going to be looking past the Bears a little bit. It's a big spread, double-digit points. I think I'm taking the Bears. I'm taking the points. And I'll say it and probably be wrong, but I'll take the Bears straight up. Wow. Um, You talked about Lamar Jackson having kind of the playoff ghosts. There, there is a lot of unfinished business from the New Orleans side here. There's obviously losing to the Minnesota Vikings in the Stephon Diggs play. There's the NFC Championship game. Um, there's losing to the Vikings last year. Again, th- if anybody has like done all the work to get to this moment, it is the New Orleans Saints. I know it's a 10-point spread. I don't care. I will take the Saints, and I will feel very good about it. And I feel even happier that you took the Bears. You could have said that. Any of those other playoff years, right? The whole year's been about getting back after losing to the Rams. The whole year's been about getting back. And they've lost again. So I think the the only thing I would say to that is the Vikings were kind of, we we talked about this that week ahead of Christmas, like a low-key rival for the Saints, right? Because they had knocked them out of the uh, the divisional round um, two years in a or two out of three years. And so, I mean, that was a little call it a baby hurdle, but a hurdle for them to get over, right? Like even mentally, just beating that team. And they didn't beat them. They whipped their And, you know, and so there's some data to support that they're a little bit more locked in in that respect than they have been in years previous to this. It's the first swear you've ever said on the show. Really? Well, I know that BLG wanted to do it on the podcast. I wanted to get one in on the feed this week. That's our quota. Okay. Last <laughs> game to go, and it's, it is... <laughs> A crazy game because it's a divisional matchup. Cleveland at Pittsburgh. There's no Kevin Stefanski in this game. There was no head coach for the Browns because he tested positive for COVID-19. Alex Van Pelt, the offensive coordinator, is going to call the plays. And this is going to be the Brownsiest playoff game of all time. I thought Mark Schlereth was very fair in saying, you know, kind of, I don't see explaining both sides, but in, in not totally attacking the NFL. I think the NFL is so ridiculous for not allowing... Kevin Stefanski to have any level of communication in this game. I have yet to hear a solid rationale why that cannot be the case. Again, this is a literally unprecedented set of circumstances. Um, and I, I feel for the Browns. I think the Browns are probably going to lose this game um, no matter what, because the Steelers have kind of found themselves. But I feel for the Browns. I feel for Kevin Stefanski. I feel for Joel Batonio. I mean, this is just, this sucks. And I, I also feel for NBC, uh, I know nobody feels for people who put a lot of money in their pockets, but they had their Sunday night game last week tainted by the Doug Peterson thing. And so it was it was a matter of, okay, we finally because everybody wanted Brown Steelers for week 17, right? Like everybody was rooting for the Browns against the Jets and the Colts to beat the Steelers in week 16. So we could get that. It didn't happen. That would have been on NBC on Sunday night football. Okay, we got it. Here it is. Brown Steelers. We're finally going to get it. Oh, we got this going on. So that just sucks. It's a sucky situation. And I don't like it because the NFL can avoid criticism. Like it's one thing to say, well, we're not going to postpone the game. Okay. That's generally been their philosophy when they feel like nobody else is in danger of getting COVID, but they could easily set Kevin Stefanski up with a zoom or a headset or something. There's some way to do it where he could still coach this game. And then if the Browns lose, people will say, Hey, It wasn't ideal, but it's a COVID year. He was still there, and they didn't get it done. Now, if the Browns lose, it's going to be, hey, the NFL screwed these guys. And that's – why would you invite that conversation if you're the NFL, right? Like, why would you leave that that sort of plot hole open all offseason long for that to be – not even us. Like, people will say that forever. I mean, and this is, what, two straight years that we're going to have a Brown-Steelers game mired in controversy? Like, you're you're, people – that – that Miles Garrett factor kind of went away up until Cleveland made him a captain. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like you're, you're just, you're, it's, it's, it's like, it's just watching something unfold. that doesn't have to happen. You can very easily, I don't want to say put a stop to it, but you can very easily inhibit the damage that is going to occur here. Well, there's going to be damage to the Cleveland Browns. Cause I think the Steelers are going to win this game. They are giving six points. Um, are you in agreement with me that it's going to be Steelers and it's not going to be particularly close? 
I am not. I am. I think the Steelers win. Um, however, I have taken, I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, the favorites in all five of the games prior to this. Um, I think the Browns cover. I do think that they, we talk a lot about Josh Allen sort of embodying the culture of his city and the culture of his team. Baker Mayfield does that in spades as well. Um, and I think that he, I, we're going to see one of the finest performances from Baker Mayfield, I think. I don't. I think it will be a losing effort, unfortunately. But I think the Browns cover. I think this is maybe like, Maybe this game, maybe I'll, I said earlier that we were going to see Philip Rivers last game. I'll say this. We're going to see Ben Roethlisberger's last game winning drive in this game. Ooh, well, he said he's thinking about it like it might be his last game. So that's entirely possible. Let me just say I'm rooting hard for Baker Mayfield. I think he's one of the more interesting players in the league. The play that they ran against the Steelers in week 17 to, to get the first down that let them run out the clock was called Maserati. Do you know why it was called Maserati? I do not, Stats. Because when the Browns picked Baker Mayfield, Colin Cowherd criticized them and said, when you have the number one draft pick and you take a quarterback, you want a Maserati, not a Mazda. So the fact that Brown Baker and the Browns are still thinking about that years later and named the play because of that, like, I like that. That makes it interesting. It makes it fun. I'm rooting for Baker Mayfield. I just don't think he's going to win. I completely agree with you. I know some people and some Browns fans will be like, Baker should pay no mind to what Colin Cowherd says. I loved when Baker went on his show, um, you know, to kind of defend himself. I like that Baker is this unconventional. No, I'll clap back. I'll I'll do that. I'll, I'll do things that nobody else would do. And uh, I'll be normal about it because like, that's what you want to see. You want to see the normal behavior that you resonate with, um, which is, you know, humanizing and, and you know, ultimately just really, really good for the NFL, I think. And so um, I think we are witnessing maybe a, a passing of the torch in some respects for one of the better quarterbacks in the AFC. Uh, but I do think the Steelers are the team that gets the last laugh. So there you have it. That is our deep dive into wildcard weekend. It is going to be a ton of fun. The first six game wild game or wildcard weekend in NFL history. Enjoy it, everybody. We remind you once again, please rate, review and subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show to get this show to get all our great shows, take a minute of your time and please just leave a review and a rating. It really does help. Last question for you, RJ. During playoff football, what is your game day go-to food of choice? Oh, an excellent question. Um, I mean, I, the the staples are always really good, right? Like your pizza, your wings, your nachos and things like that. I asked you about this uh, early in the day before we started recording stats. Um, I... I'm a fan of eating hot things when it's cool outside. And you, you agreed with that notion. You said you had a great soup on Wednesday for lunch. Chili. You get me some chili, a big bowl of chili. Uh, my mother-in-law made us some like, I've never had this before. It's a little like cloth that you put under a, a hot bowl. And, and so you can like, you can sit on the couch and hold your like bowl of chili with the bowl is filled with the hot food, but the little cloth, you know, obviously protects your hand from burning up. So I like to sit on, on the couch, nice bowl of chili, get some Fritos in there and really mix things up. Hold on. Were you not aware that if you put something not hot underneath something hot that you could hold on to the hot thing? I was aware of the like principle of thermodynamics, obviously, but like, <laughs> like I had never used like a like a bowl holder. I don't even know what it's called, uh, but my mother-in-law knows what I do for a living. So when she knitted them for me and my wife, uh, mine has little footballs on it. So she she loves me. Okay, so you're saying this is a specific thing designed for this purpose. It's not just like right. It's not like a towel. Yeah, no. It's it's a specific like bowl. It's like it's a it's a little crevice that the bowl sits in, and then you hold this thing, and okay. then you you put that on your on your lap or whatever. I had never used one of those before. I think I'd probably use like a towel, but yeah, you know, I'm I'm dignified now. I've got a bowl holder. All right, right. Yeah, classy. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're prepared. What's yours? Your food of choice. Oh, I like a, I like wings or I do a special dip. You do cream cheese on the bottom, chili with no beans. Yeah. Then you throw shredded cheese, jalapenos, anything, olives, if you want to throw them in there. Oh. You throw them in the oven for 20 minutes. It's perfect. With a little tortilla, you're all set. Uh, tweet out a photo, stats this Sunday, so we can see it. All right. Mission accomplished. I will do so. We will also tweet out a picture of all the picks if you want to follow along and watch my misery continue because I have been terrible this year. So enjoy the games and we'll talk to you next week. 